It's our privilege to present this message from the teaching ministry of Reverend George DeYoung as part of the Fruit from Under the Fig Tree. George DeYoung is the founder of Under the Fig Tree Ministries, an organization dedicated to helping people understand the power of God's Word in its Jewish context to equip them to impact their culture. George helps us understand the message of Christ by experiencing the world of the Bible. We pray you're challenged and encouraged by the Word of God as George brings us this teaching from the text. Now, let's see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and set our hearts on what God desires as we join George recorded live on location. We're in this series of Live Life Loving. And um, last week we kicked off the series by looking at the Shema. And um, to me, it was, it, was, it was kind of fun to, to look at it. And, and there were things in the Shema that I hadn't really noticed before or studied before. But we talked about the Shema, and the Shema really is, it's the Shema is all about love. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul. And, 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 and this love is to be learned and what you learn about this love is at the cross of Christ. That's, wh- that's where we were last week. So let's, let's do this. If you'd like to say it with me in the Hebrew, you're welcome to. We'll say it together in Hebrew, and then um, we'll say it boldly in English to, together. Because I know not all of us have a command of the Hebrew, so we might be a little tentative. Um, but when it comes to the English, let's, let's declare it, okay? Let's not just say it. Let's declare it, Okay. Together, if you, if, you would, if you would. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavta et Adonai Eloecha, Bechol Lavavcha, Uvechol Nafshecha, Uvechol Meodecha. In English, together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The very words of God. So that's what we studied last week. Then that, that day, Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees got together and they picked their first string, their first draft choice. Their, the, 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 one of the lawgivers, one of the best of the lawgivers, the way Matthew describes them. And, and he comes and he asks Jesus a question that you ask a lot of rabbis. Uh, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, Shema Israel. He said this one right here. And then Jesus added to it, Ve'ahavta, Re'acha, Kamocha, together, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting. Um, I was thinking about this this week, and after the message of last Sunday, um, then, then looking at this message, I was thinking that, you know, I know that people are confused about God, but when it comes to loving something, what's not there to love about God? I mean, God, God forgives, God is patient, God keeps no record of wrongs. Loving God is, is really, I don't think, is, is that hard. Um, and if Jesus had stopped there, I think we'd be all pretty okay. Um, but he doesn't. He goes on. And he says, the second is like unto the first, love your neighbor as yourself. Ah, now that's a whole can of worms. Because you see, I can love God. But now Jesus says, I have to love you too. Well, that's not so easy. That gets, that gets a little bit messy. 
You've got to love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, then there's the big question, who's my neighbor? <laughs> and, uh, and that even makes it messier because it turns out it's not just the person who lives next door to me, but it turns out to be Samaritans. And if you know the culture and you know the context and you know the time, you know that Samaritans were con considered as subhumans. I mean, it was easier to love a Roman than a Samaritan. So you have to love your enemy. That messes things up. And I, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this to you, but I was a younger kid at the time, and, and I, wasn't, I never went to Christian school, um, and so I went to public school. And so for a large part of my growing up life, I thought when the guy asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? You know, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. I didn't really realize that came from Deuteronomy. And I thought when Jesus tacked on, love your neighbor as yourself, I thought that was a Jesus saying. I thought, well, and it, and it makes sense. I mean, Jesus loved everybody, and so it would make sense that that would come from Jesus. But, but then I learned that no, 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 uh, the Shema comes from Deuteronomy. He's quoting the text. And then that love your neighbor as yourself comes from the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19. More specifically, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Well, so we've been going along with that for quite a while, and I've been leading trips to Egypt, Jordan, Israel, you know, and, and we've been saying the Shema every morning uh, several times during the day, and I've never looked at love your neighbor as yourself in its context. In other words, I've never studied Leviticus 19. And there's a reason for that. The book of Leviticus is a challenging book. It's a difficult book to teach from, really. It's kind of like the book of Revelation, okay? Both of these books were written long ago in a land far, far away. Um, and and they, 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 they are addressing things that when, if you just read them, you say, huh? <laughs> huh? Uh, four horsemen, you know? Um, robes dipped in blood in the book of Revelation? And then, and then, and then, and, and, and Leviticus, you got, you got, don't put two different kind of animals together. What? And so there's a kind of, there's a kind of hesitancy about the book of Leviticus that because we don't understand it so well, and because it says some things that don't fit our culture, our, and we don't think fit our context, you know, we kind of dismiss them, and we don't go there. Um, but you see, the book of Revelation was written at a time when the church was being persecuted, and the language that it was using was kind of code. And it brought hope and comfort to a persecuted church. In the book of Revelation, it gives us hope because in the end we know we win. We win. The book of Leviticus is written in a context to a people who were only coming to know more and more of the context, and the book of the book of Leviticus, the point, the theme of that book is to be holy as the Lord is holy. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say this. Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. You must respect your mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord, your God. Don't turn to idols 
or make molten or graven images. I am the Lord, your God. And when you make a fellowship offering, do it in such a way that it's going to be accepted. And when you harvest your fields, don't harvest them all the way to the very edges or to the very corners. And, and, and don't pick up your gleanings. And when you harvest your vineyard, don't do it twice. And don't pick up whatever grapes fall to the ground. Leave all that for the poor and for the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't deceive one another. And don't swear falsely by my name. I am the Lord your God. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Uh, don't, don't hold back a workman's wages overnight. And don't curse a deaf person. And don't put a stumbling block in front of a blind person. Uh, but, but fear but fear God, I am the Lord. Now, don't pervert justice. Don't look down on people because they're poor. Don't look up to people because they're rich. But judge your neighbor fairly. And whatever you do, don't slander anybody. Don't, don't do anything that would harm your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Don't hate your fellow Israelite. And, and when you correct your neighbor, do it without arguing so there'd be no guilt. Don't take revenge. Don't hold a grudge. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. The very words of God, Leviticus 19, 1 through 18. I'd like to approach this text, and I've divided it up into three sections for us to kind of study and work through. And then as we near the end, I want to I go back and dwell on that phrase that comes just before, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? So that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to see this text in context. And quite frankly, as I studied this, and as you hear this, God willing, uh, you may find... Oh, now I know where Jesus got all his material. Because um, this is an amazing text. Now, it is a rabbinic teaching technique. It's called remez. Um, and, and the idea is, if I throw out a sentence, I don't have to give the broader context. I assume you know the broader context. If I say, my country tis of thee, then you know I'm referring to a song. Okay? Um, um, if I say sticks and stones... I don't have to say the rest. Um, you know how that little phrase goes on. Well, they were so biblically literate that, that when Jesus said the Shema, he was thinking that you would, you would understand the broader context where it comes from. And when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, it has content just by itself. But if you want to know more fully the content of what it means to love your neighbor by yourself, Jesus, I think, on some level is assuming you and I would have done a little bit of work in Leviticus 19, verses 1 through 18. And so that's what I'd like to do. And I've divided it up into three sections. And the first section is the Lord and me, or the Lord, me, that is us. Okay? Because it begins with these words. Uh, speak to the entire assembly of Israel. That's what God said to Moses. The Lord said, 
speak to the entire assembly of Israel. So these words are for us. Just like the Shema, it's Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu. It's, it's for us. These are, this, is, this is in-house conversation, okay? This, this, is, this is foundational. This is, ought to be formative, okay? And, 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 and it, it's God's word to Moses, and Moses is giving it, giving it to the people. When, when Leviticus 19 happens, God's word only came through one voice, and that was Moses' voice. Whenever you cite, recite scripture, it is God's word through your voice. God is speaking through you. He's speaking through me. Never lose that. Never lose that. So God said to Moses, these are God's words coming through Moses, so they come with the equal authority, and there's something about the design of that. Speak these words to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, when God says this to Moses and Moses says this to the Israelites, I want to go back a step because this is so important I want to go back a step and say, he's saying it to his people. Men and women of Israel. These men and women of Israel are made in God's image. God intends to show himself through his people Israel. Why does God choose a people? Did God choose a people and say, you know, I like these ones. I'm going to show myself to them. We're just, it's just going to be us and them. No. No, Israel was going to be God's way of showing himself to the world. He was going to image himself to his, through his people to the world. So that when you looked at his people, when I look at, uh, at uh, Carrie, and when I look at Kristen, and when I look at Joel, and I hear God speak through them, I'm intended to see Jesus. I'm intended to see the image of God in them. And in, according to this verse, not only do we see something about God, but we're also to see his holiness. Be holy as I am holy. Now what is holiness? Is it, is it, is it that I'm supposed to be immutable like God is? Am I supposed to be omnipresent like God is? Am I, am I supposed to cre create heavens and stars and galaxies? No, 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 no. What God is saying when he says be holy, the word holy is be, to be set apart. Something, something special. I, I, I'm fond of telling when I was growing up on the farm, I had barn clothes, then I had school clothes, and I had Sunday clothes. My Sunday clothes were special. Now when my Sunday clothes got worn out a little bit, or I was out, they became school clothes. And then school clothes became barn clothes. And barn clothes, um, the place remembers them no more. Um, so you would go through, they, they would be special. So if I, could, if I could translate the word holy for you, I, is this, be holy, be special, because I, the Lord your God, am special. I, the Lord your God, am special. Okay? And then it's remarkable. What's the next thing that God says? He said, each of you must respect your mother and your father. So, we're to be holy like God is holy, and the first thing of holiness is to respect our parents. The first thing that God says has to do with family. Has to do with family. Holiness is learned in the home. Holiness is learned in the home. But here's something more. Over my years, I'll lay this down. You don't have to pick it up. 
But in my opinion, the physical world is a metaphor for the spiritual world. I mean, doesn't Paul say in Romans 1 that there's enough in all creation to hold people accountable? In other words, God made the world, he made things, and he made institutions and structures so that through them we get to see him. We learn about him. I learn about the fatherhood of God by being a father. I learn, I learn what it is to, to, to see a bride come down, and I can imagine what it's like for Jesus when his bride comes up. All these pictures. And when God says, be holy as I'm holy, the first place he goes to is the home. Why? Because the home is where holiness is learned. The home is where you learn that you're special and how are you special. And that's a home is one of the places of the greatest struggle, the greatest relationships. Home is, is your family. And then, and then God follows this up, each of you, and, and you must observe my Sabbaths, declares the Lord. I am the Lord your God. Why, why, why does God tie home and Sabbath together? Because you see, home is a metaphor. A metaphor of the family I really belong in, my spiritual family, and my, my heavenly father. I, 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 I'm, I, I don't think I can overemphasize this. In this time of division, what, 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 does the, what is the goal of the evil one? The goal of the evil one is to divide and destroy. What's the goal of God? You will know that they, they, you are my, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Be one as I am one. Unity. That celebrates diversity. I, I, I'm going to hit it one more time. Be careful. Be careful that you surround yourselves with people you agree with because in soon, soon you're not going to agree with them either. And, then, and after you leave this fellowship, you leave this fellowship, you leave this fellowship, you find yourself all alone. Your roots are gone. Be special like I'm special. And I put you in a place. Grow together. Learn together. Struggle together. Struggle with each other, not against each other. Are there times when it's time to leave a church? Sure there are. But I think this needs to be said now. That this love your neighbor as yourself doesn't pop up in the New Testament. It comes in a context. And the context of Leviticus is to a holiness code, to be holy, to be special. How special? The same kind of special that God is special. Well, what kind of special is God? Well, you see the love between your mom and dad? Ah, do you see the love, your brothers and sisters? I mean, it's not an accident, okay? It's not an accident that the first sin was committed between the most intimate relationship of a husband and wife. The first murder in the Bible is between two brothers. In fact, there's this undertow throughout the entire scripture that family just doesn't get along. I mean, Cain and Abel didn't get along. Jacob and Esau didn't get along. Talk to me about Joseph and his brothers. Family. But you struggle with, not against. Be holy because I am holy. Observe my Sabbath. And what is Sabbath? Sabbath is spending time with God. It's just spending time with God. It's just it's being with him. I, I, when I was growing up, what can you do and not do on Sundays and that kind of thing? But it's, it's spending time with God. It's setting time aside, recognizing that God, that, that quite frankly, all week long, you have been the apple of God's eye and you're still the apple of God's eye on, on Sabbath. But, but on Sabbath, you're going to work hard to make, let God know in physical, tangible ways that he's the apple of your eye. And what does that look for you? I don't know. Respect my... And then, and then he said, I am the Lord, your God. This whole thing is punctuated. I counted 10 
capital L, capital O, capital R, capital Ds. Now in Hebrew, if you want to emphasize something, repeat it. That's a surefire way. Ten times. I am the Lord your God. Then, then he goes over to this. Don't turn to idols. Don't, don't make for yourselves any molten images. Um, I am the Lord your God. It's like that, that sentence is punctuated at the beginning, at the end. I am the Lord your God. Don't turn to idols. Make molten images. I am the Lord your God. It's almost as if God says, listen, I made you to be image bearers, not image makers. I want you to be image bearers. You, you are not designed to be image makers. A friend of mine got a, uh, a new boat. Uh, uh, four winds. Beautiful boat. Beautiful boat. Um, but he kind of looked at me. He says, you know, my Jeep isn't quite big enough to pull this boat. <laughs> we pulled it. We pulled it. But he's not going to drive far with that boat on that Jeep because it wasn't designed for that. It would break the Jeep. Don't, so so God, just, God says, listen, I, I know with the fall, you know, the evil one is trying to confuse you. He wants you to be image makers. I want, I, I want you to be image bearers. Don't make images. Don't go to idols. Don't do that. And then, and then this curious thing. He said, when you sacrifice... A fellowship offering. Sacrifice in a way that will be accepted on your behalf. Now, we haven't studied this a lot, um, but let me just say to you that in the book of Leviticus, there are a number of sacrificial offerings for a number of different purposes. There's a sin offering. There's a guilt offering. Um, there, there's a, 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 a different, different kinds of burnt offering, a whole burnt offering, um, a thank offering, if, you, if something happens, uh, if, when you have a thank offering and, and something happens and, and, and right away you, need, you know right away God helped you or something like um, you, you're out and a lion is chasing you and, and, then, and then you turn around and you hit the lion and it runs away and, and you realize it wasn't you, it was God who spared you from the lion. You got the text says, get some stones, put them up. Make, don't make it fancy, but make your thank offering right there, right then. Recognize God right there, right then. There's different kinds of offerings. This is a fellowship offering. And then it says... When you make your fellowship offering, do, do it in such a way it'll be accepted. Do you know what a fellowship offering is? A fellowship offering is an offering that you make because basically the heart of a fellowship offering is basically saying to God, you know, God, I really like you. I love you, but I really like I like being with you. I like sharing time with you. I'm just enjoying my life with you. I'm having fun with this. I've had some challenges, but you know, all in all, it's worth it. I like struggling with you because I just find us getting deeper. So I brought, I brought this meal. I brought this meal to you, and I'm going to sacrifice. And God says, great. Okay, but here's the deal. Now you have to bring lots because you want to give God lots. You want to have, and you eat it with God. The two of you eat it together. God gets his part, you get your part. And God says, but here, this is the deal. You have to eat the whole thing. No diet here. Uh-uh, no small portions. Eat the whole thing. Now, you got so much you can't eat it all? Well, okay. We can eat the rest of it the next day. But the third day, nothing doing. You got to eat it all the second day. What's the point of a fellowship offering? The point of a fellowship offering is basically saying to God, God, I just want to gorge on my relationship with you. I want to be so filled with my relationship with you. I want to be so full of my relationship with you. I want to be holy as you are holy. I'm going to learn about that holiness as I respect my parents because I know my parents are a picture of my heavenly parent, my Father in heaven. I, 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 don't, want to, I don't want to 
divert my attention to idols, things I make with my hands. I don't want to be an image maker. I want to be an image, I want to be an image bearer. And in that bearing your image, I, I just want to have fellowship with you. I want to be with you. I, I, I don't want to nibble at our relationship. I want to drink it deeply. So, section one, those first five verses, is basically talking about the Lord and me or the Lord and us. Okay? Section two is the Lord and me, the Lord and us, and them. <laughs> and them. The, the, the folks outside. The folks that aren't part of our family. Um, the people we have to, we bump into and we work with and we, we serve or serve us. Because there's a shift in these verses. And it goes this way. Verse um, 6. When you reap the harvest of your land, <clears throat> do not reap it, do not harvest to the very edges or to the corners of your field. Or gather the gleaning. So as you harvest, you know, you leave, there's some drops off and you leave it. And, you know, this is the Ruth and Boaz story, right? And remember Boaz, he saw that Ruth was a bit of a looker. And uh, he, he, he said, you know, <laughs> I've heard about her. She takes good care of Naomi. I'm related to Naomi. You know what, guys? Just throw a few sheaves extra when you see her coming. Just put them out there. Don't pick up the gleanings, okay? What's more, if you have a vineyard, don't go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen on the, on the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I'm your God. So what God is saying is, listen, um, we have this wonderful relationship together. And in that relationship together, you, you feed me and I feed you. And I just want you to know that you're my image bearers. I want you to know that I've set the whole thing up, that people are going to, they're going to, they're going to form their opinion about who I am by you. Okay? So, so let's have fellowship together. Let's, let's enjoy each other so that when we go out there, you're going to, as I'm generous, I want you to image my generosity. I want you to image my generosity to you. I mean, you've been blessed to be a blessing. So when you go out there and you have your field, don't, don't, don't go to the very corners. Because that, 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 remember we talked about that. That's mine. That's where the poor come. And, 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 and more than that, they just don't get the corners. Make sure you don't pick up everything off the field. Or when you harvest your grapes, I want to, I want to take care of them. I want, I want people, when they're passing through the land, or the poor of our land, I, if, well, the poor will always have, but I'm telling you, the poor of Israel are going to look like the wealthiest in any other part of the world. My poor people are not going to be that poor at all. Now, here's the thing with the poor. I provide for the poor, but I don't deliver. They've got to come and get it. They've got to come and get it. I, I'll never forget Neil Planiga, my, my professor, one of my professors at seminary, who, who taught, I, I'll never forget it. He said, when God created man, God created man different than the animals. God created man with the ability to respond. God didn't say the animals don't eat of that tree or don't do it. No, 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 no. He created man with the ability to respond. So we have responsibility. And the moment I, the moment I deny somebody their responsibility, I diminish the image of God in them. I wonder sometimes if our government does De delivers everything to the poor. Delivers, 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 delivers. And what happens in time is the image of God diminishes and diminishes. God provides, but he doesn't deliver. Why? Because you see, when you are invested in something, when you've done it, when you have a part of it, it it's, it's just, God, 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 before the fall, God, work, work the garden, Adam. Work the garden. 
and then we're working, and God's providing. But I'm working at it, and we're together. That's the way God provides the poor. Leave the corners. Don't, don't, go, don't go all the way to the corners. And then it's interesting, because if you go to the corners, it's almost as if you're stealing. You're take, it's the same lesson with manna. Remember, remember the story of manna? God said how much manna you should pick up every day, and, and, and after you picked up your portion of manna, there was a whole bunch of manna on the ground. Whole bunch. Why? Well, all that manna goes to waste. No, it's God's manna. God gave that so you learn that man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So why? Well, because God says you have your portion. Don't take more than your portion. Leave that. And for 40 years in the wilderness, the Israelites had to learn not to take everything they could. They had to leave some, and that and it would be left. And when it comes to their fields, you don't take everything you can. You leave it in that culture. Be holy as I am holy. And all of this comes out of a fellowship fullness with your heavenly Father in the context of your earthly and church home. And so, so don't steal. And, and don't lie. And, 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 and don't deceive each other. In short, don't swear falsely by, by, the, by the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Don't, don't, don't take God's name and make it common. Now, it's, could be, it could very well be how you talk. True. But in this context, I think it's how you live. Because you see, if God designed it, that you and I are going to be his image bearers and people are going to know more about God by watching us, watch out how you live. Don't, live don't, don't, don't lift up God's name for nothing. That's what to take his name in vain means. Don't make it common. You're not common. You're not. You are absolutely remarkable. You are amazing. You don't, you're not stealing. You're not lying. You don't live as God's image bears by making them common as if he doesn't even count. It matter, God matters to you. God matters to you. It's the Lord, me, us, and them. And them. The text goes on, and it says, do not, do not defraud or rob your neighbor do not hold back wages of a hired worker overnight. In those days, a day's wages, a day's pay. The guy, they lived hand to mouth, and they needed it. So don't, 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 don't do that. Don't be fair with people. We're doing a remodel, and I made sure that with every one of my contractors, I had the checkbook, and, and I, I filled up right, boom, right there. I says, you bring the bill, I got the check. And one of the guys said to me, you have no idea how important that is to me. He said, you have no idea. Because this is his bread. What he was doing is his bread. Don't hold back wages of a worker overnight. And don't curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. I, I would love to spend some time on this one. Because there's the obvious meaning of the text by cursing the deaf. They can't hear you. So you're just making fun of them and putting a stumbling block in front of the blind. I remember years ago, I was when I was at Calvin College for a, a, a short season, I worked as a deskie, and we had this conference, and it was with blind people, and I had a job of escorting this person around. And I 
They can't, blind people can't see. Um, and so I, I, I banged the person into a tree. Um, I didn't mean to, but they can't see. But I think it goes deeper than that. I think it goes, I, you understand when people don't know that they don't know, they think they know? You understand that the gospel, the good news that you and I have, the evil one has primed the pumps of so many lives that it doesn't sound like good news? That the light, the light shines in the darkness, but there are so many eyes that are so deep into the darkness that even a little bit of light hurts them and they, they go away. That this, this deafness to the gospel, this blindness to the gospel, and I think that's why Jesus says, turn the other cheek and walk the extra mile. I think that's one of the messages of the cross. Is that, is that during times of persecution, the church grew enormously. Why? Because we do not repay evil for evil. We turn the other cheek. Evil stops here. Evil stops with me. Evil stops at the cross. It doesn't get amplified and exaggerated. It doesn't go on. No. Don't curse the deaf. Don't put a stumbling blind block before the blind. And understand that there's a lot of people. It's you, me, God, and them. And the them out there. That's a real challenge. You think it's a challenge just to live together here? <clears throat> out there. Out there. Don't pervert justice. Don't look down on people because they're poor. Don't look up to people because they're rich. Don't pervert justice. Judge everyone fairly. And don't go around slandering. Um, can, can, you, can you hear so much of James in this, you know? Filthy language from your lips. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. So section one focuses on the Lord and me and us. Um, section two is the Lord, me, and us, and them. And section three, and there's a reason it comes in this order, friends. Section three is going to be the most challenging. I'm really going to ask that you would listen very carefully. I would ask that you would season the words you're about to hear with the love that you know is my heart for you and for God's word and for our world. But section three is living shalom. And section three begins in verse 16, the second part. Don't do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. I don't want you to do anything, God says, that will endanger your neighbor's life. Um, don't hate a fellow Israelite. Don't hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. And don't argue with your neighbor so you'll not share guilt. Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. Love your... This living in Shalom... We are called to live in shalom in a broken world filled with broken people, of which I am one, who keep breaking things. And we are to live in harmony with God in a world full of noise. We're to live a life, a growing clarity, our life in God, to image him in a world that it seems to a cacophony of chaos. Make no mistake, the kingdom 
comes through one vehicle and one vehicle only, and that's the church. That's the church. That's why I want to go back, if I could, and I want to look at this sentence. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. Now, up until now, in this passage of Scripture, we've been talking about the Israelites, and we've been talking about the world, them. It concludes with anyone among your people. Who are your people? Well, your people are the people you're sitting with right now, here, but your people are also the people when you go to school and when you go to work, they're your people too. They're all your people. And you're not to seek revenge or bear a grudge. You're not to harbor hate in your heart. Do not, do not seek revenge. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay the Lord. See, the, the problem is, is when you get, when there's vengeance, somebody has offended you and you have the pain of loss, and you want to respond out of that loss, that's called vengeance. And when you respond out of your loss, and you take vengeance, it only gives more vengeance. It makes things worse. It cannot turn out well. It cannot turn out well. The only way that you, things can turn out well is if you do not move out of your loss, but you move out of love. If I have the faith, if I have the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong. Don't take vengeance. Don't respond to the world. Don't respond to people out of your loss. You respond to people out of your love. Because vengeance only perpetuates vengeance. Do you remember? It's the last night. It's the last night. They've had Passover. They're in the garden. They've been praying. Disciples sleeping three times, if it's possible. Let this cup out come. Jesus says he's ready to lead the boys, and they're ready. he's ready to go on, and he sees the torches come. And there's Judas. Betrayest thou me with a kiss? And then Peter pulls out his sword, and the, the sword flashes in the night air. And it hits Malchus on the side of the head and off comes his ear. And Jesus says to Peter, put your sword back in its place. Because, you see, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Vengeance. Vengeance. Martin Luther King, in a work he wrote called The Experiment of Love, Martin Luther King writes these words, nonviolent resistance is that it avoids not only external physical violence, but also internal violence of spirit. The nonviolent register not only, refuse, not only refuses to shoot his opponent, but he also refuses to hate him. At the center of nonviolence stands the principle of love. We're struggling with different topics. We're struggling with sexuality, we're struggling with racism. And we're, we're struggling with how do we live together. I, I understand that. I, I, I have the same struggle. But be Bereans. Be sure, whatever it is you're reading, whatever it is that's guiding you, make sure it doesn't begin in loss and want vengeance. I think anyone who talks about reparations will have a hard time squaring that with this passage from Ezekiel where Ezekiel says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. Why does the son not share the guilt of his father? 
Since the Son has, not, has done what is right, uh, just and right and has been careful to keep all my degrees, he will surely live. The one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them. The wickedness of the wicked will be charged to them. In other words, what Ezekiel, whose name means God is my strength, is saying, no, followers of God, if you're going to image God, it's not an eye for an eye, it's not a tooth for a tooth. No, the way to shalom and harmony is not to count the sins of the fathers on the children. No. The fathers will be accountable for their sins. The children will be accountable for theirs. We serve a God who doesn't say, I want my payback. He got that at the cross. You and I live by grace. We can learn about the pain of others. We, can, we must be sensitive. We must be sensitive to the differences that are in our congregation, that are in our world. Vive la différence. Embrace them. But the church is not a follower. The church is a leader. Politics is not designed to unite. Pundits are not designed to bring shalom. They want to win. They don't turn cheeks. They don't walk extra miles. Measure a movement by its leader. My movement, the one I serve, my leader died on a cross, and he didn't deserve it. Measure a movement by, can we learn? Yes. Do we need to understand? Yes. I am guilty too of sometimes I didn't know I didn't know, so I thought I knew. And I spent most of my life learning how much I didn't know. But then never confuse that for the way that God is working redemption. It's through the church. It's not the Republicans. It's not the Democrats. It's the church. It's designed for that. And the church is filled with people who were designed to be image bearers. And these image bearers are to live their lives loving. Loving God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength. And loving their neighbor as themselves. It's our desire that this teaching by George DeYoung has encouraged you to walk more closely in the dust of our Rabbi Yeshua please visit us on the web at www.underthefigtree.org or write to us at Under the Fig Tree, P.O. Box 1256, Holland, Michigan, 49423. Please remember George and this ministry in your prayers. Under the Fig Tree is a nonprofit organization that's solely dependent on your tax-deductible contributions. We very much appreciate your support. Now go and tell Israel. And until next time, May the shalom of the Lord guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.